0: two words that every homeowner probably dreads to hear. Home repairs, right? Have you ever wondered how much money that that you should budget for home repairs? Well, let me just encourage you to budget a generous amount and then add a zero to it. (laughs) You know, because there's times where, you know, that house that you own, no matter what age, it seems like a money pit. You pour stuff into it, you get one thing going, and something else breaks. Or, or you step into one project thinking it's not going to be that bad, and it leads to something else, it leads to something else, it leads to tools that you have to buy, over and over and over again. It just seems like it never ends at times. So here, here's a few of the things that Dory and I have experienced as homeowners over, over the years. Not long after we moved to Council Bluffs, a major hailstorm hit. So we replaced the shingles on the house and discovered that the roof decking underneath is rotting, and that needs to be replaced as well. So added expense right there. Then while we're at it, we had the gutters replaced. And then I found out that, you know, with gutters, you need to clean them at least once a year, and, and I didn't really care for that, so we installed gutter guards so we don't have to clean the gutters. And then there's this 50-year-old lawn that we had, and we decided to revitalize it. So we pour a bunch of fertilizer on it over a summer. Then we have to buy a new lawnmower because now the lawn grows like crazy. Then we buy a weed eater to to, uh, weed eat and trim the said lawn that now grows like crazy. Then I get frustrated with the gas model trimmer and go buy a battery-powered one instead. And then uh, one summer we installed a chain link fence, did that project our, ourselves, it kind of felt good, we got it done. And then a tree falls on it, so we repair the fence. And then I trim the trees so that they don't fall on the fence. And then I fall off the ladder while trimming said trees. And then hire a professional to trim trees. <laughs> it gets better. Well, uh, I, watch a few <laughs> I watch a few YouTube videos on how to paint a house, right? So I, I, paint our house by myself, then hire a professional to repaint the house a couple years later. So then I'm, I'm feeling kind of handy, <laughs> feeling kind of handy, so I tear out the carpet in, in the kitchen. Why they put carpet in the kitchen, I don't know. So we tear it out and I tackled the flooring project myself, put down new flooring, new trim, and then watch the same kitchen floor disintegrate and break apart because I installed it wrong. And then one time I noticed the uh, toilet leaking in the downstairs bathroom and it it destroyed the carpet around it. So I tear out carpet um, that the leaking toilet destroyed, I replaced the wax ring on the toilet, but as I'm trying to do so I discovered a crack in the toilet, right? So we go to Home Depot, uh, we, we buy a new toilet, attempt to install toilet myself, call a plumber to install the same toilet. Install a new water heater and furnace. I hired professionals to do that one. So do you see a pattern there? You know, and you, if you're a homeowner, uh, you understand what I'm saying. And there's, you know, the list can go on and on, on and on. And there's been more than one time where I've thought to myself, you know, renting might not be that bad of an idea, you know, especially when you have the DIY skills at my level, you know, kind of down here. Well, today we come to 2 Kings chapter 12, and as we read that chapter, it sounds a little bit like a home repair model is coming down the line, at least trying to find the money to do some repairs. But this project's a little bigger than a single family dwelling like Dory and I have ever lived in. This is about the temple in Jerusalem. Now, the one who took the initiative to uh, undergo this project is um, the king of the southern kingdom of Judah named Joash, or Jehoash, depending, different spelling. But it helps to know that for the Israelites, the temple is a big deal. You can't overstate that. It was symbolic of God's presence with the people. It started as a tent, With Moses and it was mobile they they moved it around during their wilderness wanderings and when King Solomon came along he built the very first temple in around 957 BC so this temple was really reflected their faith and so when the temple was in disrepair when things were were breaking down it reflected a poor spiritual state for the people of Israel And conversely, when the temple was well-kept, when there was no damage, it was indicative of a healthy spiritual state and their, their level of worship of the living God. So by the time that Joash comes around, the temple needed a little repair. And this is probably about 140 years after it was originally built, so we're talking around 830 B.C. And Joash sets out to raise the money to do the temple repair. And as he's doing so, as you read this chapter, it kind of there's a sign that's leaning towards spiritual revival. You know, the, the needles heading towards the green. Things are looking pretty good because there's very, at the very least, there's evidence of that things are spiritually astir in Israel. Things have been so bad for so long. So many kings were, were so evil, so bad. And here comes Joash. He sees the temple and he, he says, You know what? We need to repair it. And it takes money to repair it. And we get this feel okay, that revival is coming. It's almost there, it's just on the edge. But Joash encounters some roadblocks and obstacles that get the best of them. So this morning in our series, Faith During Faithlessness, uh, we want to look at these roadblocks that Joash encountered. We want to look at how they impacted him and how we can overcome these same kind of obstacles in our life. We'll look at what went wrong with Joash, and by God's grace, what can we do differently? So there's four different roadblocks that we want to look at today from from the book of 2 Kings. And the first roadblock is simply not following God faithfully. And I I know you're going, Captain Obvious, right? Well, it's got to be said, not following God faithfully. So we pick up in 2 Kings chapter 12, the first two verses. In the seventh year of Jehu, Joash became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. His mother's name was Zabiah, she was from Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. So there was a man in his life, this priest named Jehoiada, who mentored him, who kind of discipled him in God's ways and kept him pointed towards the Lord God all of Jehoiada's life. But unfortunately, when his mentor died, his morals took a dive. Now, he might have been king of Judah, but his faith was very shallow. Now, some Bible background here before we continue. In in the Old Testament, as we read through the book of Kings, um, or read about the kings of Israel and Judah, there's, there's two parallel accounts, the books of 1 and 2 Kings and also the books of 1 and 2 Chronicles. They tell the same story, but with a different perspective. Kings kind of reports on on the accounts as as kind of like news headlines. They report it as it's happening, just a lot of action, a lot of facts, you know, just here's what's going on, just just a report in that sense. But reading, reading in Chronicles, it's more like a documentary. Yes, it gives the fact, but it also gives a little bit of hindsight and interpretation to what was going on in the lives of kings. So the parallel account for Joash in 2 Kings 12 is found in 2nd Chronicles 24 tells the same story so in 2nd Chronicles 24 we read about his his um, repair efforts verse 17 says after the death of Jehoiada the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king and he listened to them they abandoned the temple of the Lord the God of their ancestors and worshiped Asherah poles and idols. Because of their guilt, God's anger came on Judah and Jerusalem. So after Joash's good mentor, Jehoiada, dies, these other men come into his life, and it tells us that he listened to them. And what was the result? He turned away from God, abandoned this project, and God holds him accountable for it. They turned away from the Lord and they served the false idols of the day. And it's just significant to point out the role that this guy Jehoiada Jehoiada had in Joash's life. Because did did you notice the difference? You know, back in 2 Kings 12, it, it says that he did right all the years that Jehoiada instructed him. And then back in 2 Chronicles 24, it tells us as soon as he died, things went astray. You know, think about the role of other people in in your lives for a minute. You know, who are you listening to? What what voices are the loudest in your life? Are, Are those voices men and women of faith? who have a mature faith who maybe are a few steps ahead of you as they're following jesus you know and are you letting those kind of people speak into your life you know are you letting mature believers uh, mentor you encourage you and as i read as i read that account i think of how important the role of just having accountability partners in your life is those other men or women that can you know really say how are you doing you know, how's your marriage doing? How's your, your devotion time doing? Are you spending time in Scripture? Those men and women that can ask you those hard, honest questions. It's so important to have that kind of relationship. So this first roadblock that jo- Johash encountered was not following God faithfully, and he fell out of that as soon as the, the positive mentor in his life was taken away second roadblock that he encountered was that he simply was safeguarding sinful strongholds in his life now for joash it it was it was kind of like this thing where you could say he worshiped a little bit of this but also a little bit of that because it says in in verse 3 of 2nd kings 12 you know he says the high places which was a reference to all the worship of the idols the the, poles, the bales it says the high places were not removed the people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there so they had, they had the temple on the one hand in, in in jerusalem where they would offer sacrifices where they would burn incense but it also says there are these other high places there were these other places of worship that they would also offer sacrifices to And they did not take those places down. And it represented those other gods in their lives. And as a result, there was not a complete surrender to the living God. And verse 3 of 2 Kings 12 is a perfect example of Israel's issue. They never did rid themselves of those elements of false worship. There was a syncretism going on. Worship of, of Yahweh, the living true God, and the worship of Baal the other gods in that region, symbolized by by the high places. And once they allowed those other elements of worship to continue, man, they took a foothold and they became a stronghold and it ultimately took them down. And I I think about our lives sometimes. You know, sometimes we have just enough God in our life to give the appearance of faith to give the appearance of commitment. You know, we, we know just, how, just the words to say, we know how to dress, we know where to show up, we know what to do to, to give this veneer of spirituality. But at the first sign of pressure, first sign of pushback against our faith, we bail and follow our own bales. We step out of living faith and go by the way of the world. You know, it's easy to dress ourselves up in Christianese, isn't it? It's easy to do, you know, you just kind of show up to church, you, you do the worship thing, you, you, you know, you come for an hour and everything looks good. But if we're only doing that, we end up really safeguarding our own strongholds of sin. And when you think about it, so often sin starts in our life and, you know, we, we think it's fun. You know, we, we want to go out for a good time. We, we get wrapped up in this idea of fun can only be, you know, X, Y, Z. It, it can only be drinking. It can only be partying. It, it can only be doing, uh, doing drugs. And then, you know, we dabble in that because people tell us it's fun. You know, have a good time. We try it. And then as it continues, we're, we're too ashamed or embarrassed to talk about it. And then if it continues then those can grow into addictions and those addictions and sin control our lives and those strongholds of sin take a hold you know in, in my bc days and before christ days i went through all of those that same progression what started out to be a good time you know let, led to be a lifestyle far from jesus led to led to those sins controlling me for a long period of my life when jesus was approached by you know a, a teacher of the law he was quizzed or asked you know what what's the greatest commandment and for the jews they had literally over 600 commandments so this wasn't a light question it it, it was a challenge out of all of these 600 plus laws and commandments which one is the greatest And Jesus says in Matthew 22, uh, he he replies to this teacher and he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now a question for you. Does that leave any wiggle room? Does that sound like there's any gray area to you? When Jesus says, Love the Lord with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. But so often, you know, we tend to go through life with just a little sprinkle of Jesus here and there. At the right place and the right time, we, you know, we whip out little Jesus and sprinkle it on. And we hang on to sin like it's the precious ring of, in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy. But does that great commandment sound like just a Jesus sprinkle? I don't think so. It's all in for Jesus. You know, sometimes the the best way to cook a steak or a pork roast is to marinate it overnight. You know, you let it sit, you let it soak. You know, if it's a pork roast, you marinate and brine. And then next day when you cook it and you slice into it, it just tastes like mmm because it's been marinating all night long. You know, if we were to cut into our our lives, if we were to marinate our lives in Jesus and and someone came cut into our heart and soul and mind, would they see Jesus? So, Journey, let me encourage you to soak your life in him. Soak your life into God's word. And as you do, allow Jesus to tear down those strongholds in your life. Ask him to pull down those high places that still might be there. Ask him to, you know, to remove those strongholds of sin. Give them over to him. Let him do the tearing down and let us follow him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, another roadblock that Joash encountered was that he gave away God's gifts. Joash gave away all of those elements of worship that were dedicated to God. Back in 2 Kings 12, verse 17, it says, About this time, Hazael, king of Aram, went up and attacked Gath and captured it. Then he turned to attack Jerusalem. This is where Joash was. But Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred objects dedicated by his predecessors, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and Ahaziah, the kings of Judah, and the gifts he himself had dedicated and all the gold found in the treasuries of the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and he sent them to Hazael, king of Aram, who then withdrew from Jerusalem. See, when the the pressure was put on to Joash, when these outside kings came and flexed their military muscle, then he compromised the significance of the temple. And paid paid the ransom. You know, he he felt that he was in a tight spot, and to get out of that tight spot, he cheapened the items set aside to worship, gave them away, paid the ransom to this outside neighboring king. You know, I, I realize it, it's not not a apples for apples comparison, but you know, think about that with with our God given gifts, and sometimes we're tempted to cheap cheapen. God's gifts that he's given to us. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 25 about using the things that God gives us. You know, it's called the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold. And as he tells it, he he gives the example of, of three different servants. One servant is given five bags of gold, another one two bags, and the third one one bag. And the first two put those talents to work. They put those gifts to work, and the five becomes ten, the two becomes four. But the one that was given just one bag of gold, he's afraid, he's fearful, and he buries it in the ground. And when the master comes back and he, and he approaches the one that had five and the one that had two, he says to them, well done, good and faithful servants, because you have taken what I've given you and you have multiplied them. And then the servant that had the one He takes it from him. And he says, you know, you have have not been faithful to what I've given you, and he's taken away. You know, the central point of that parable is about being a faithful servant with all that God has entrusted to us. And I think that includes our ministry gifts as well. It's not just about finances, it's not just about stuff, but it's about using our spiritual gifts, our ministry. And the way that we develop those, the the way that we hang on to those, is by using them. By allowing God to put them to use in our life. By being faithful to what God has given us in those spiritual gifts and in our ministries. Or are we faithful, or are we fearful, rather? When tension, are we fearful of tension or conflict or pushback? You know, there's a basic math equation for life and ministry. You know, I've I've never had to look for or find the value of X or Y in life or ministry, but but here's an equation that, that, that might help you. You know, zero Jesus in your life equals zero problems with the culture, with our world. But Jesus in your life equals friction with the world and its culture. Jesus in your life equals pushback. It equals animosity and sometimes outright antagonism. And doing those, doing ministry, using the gifts that that God has given us, using those talents for his glory, and expect friction from the world. Don't be surprised when it it comes our way. You know, there, there will be pushback. And the older I get, the more I see the friction, the more I see the pushback from our world. And the harder stand that you take for Jesus and the gospel, the greater pushback you will experience. So the temptation then comes is just kind of sit back, not put them to use, smooth things over, you know, and give away what's important to God. God has given us spiritual gifts God has given us talents to use and if we don't use them yeah we might not have any tension with the world but at the same time we can lose those things that God has given us the fourth roadblock that Joash encounters is simply minimizing God's message back in 2nd Chronicles 24 verse 19 it says Although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, and though they testified against them, they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah, son of Jehoiada, the priest. He stood before the people and said, This is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper. Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. You know, Joash had ample opportunities to listen, to hear, and to respond to God's word. He had the opportunities through Jehoiada the priest and and Jehoiada's son, Zechariah the prophet. They came to him saying, this is what you're doing. This is God's word, but he turned away. And in, in our day, we have ample opportunities to soak in God's word right here. I mean, we have multiple translations of the Bible to choose from. We have Christian radio to listen to. We have Christian music. We have podcasts. We can soak it in a multitude of different ways. But the same is true for us. We need not just to listen, but when the Bible says hear, there's that element of obedience to it. Listen, hear, and respond. So, Journey, make it your habit to spend time in Scripture soak it in to respond to it to obey it you know a little bit every day is better than nothing right work your way through the 66 different books that that make up our bible and then work on applying it to our lives you know we've looked at the roadblocks that came into the life of joash and, and in doing so, I, I've, I've hinted at how to overcome those obstacles in, in our lives as well. Now, now let, as we wrap up, let me just be really clear. Overcoming those obstacles that prevent God from moving in our life, man, follow God faithfully. Allow Jesus to pull down those strongholds in our life, those strongholds of sin, and use God's gift for ministry. As you do, your faith will grow. Your faith will be strengthened as you step out in ministry. And lastly, maximize God's message in your life. We do that by soaking your life in Scripture. and ask the praise team to come back up this morning. And you know what? as they do, I, I am thankful that my spiritual life is not tied to the state of repair of my house. <laughs> You know, if it did, it it would ebb and flow with the various levels of chaos that home repairs and home remodeling does. I mean, nothing is more disruptive than remodeling your kitchen, right? Or tearing tearing out a bathroom and redoing a bathroom. But we don't put our faith in a building. We put our faith in a person. That person is Jesus. We put our faith in the work that he has done. On the cross a work that's already accomplished so journey as i close today let me just encourage you to put your trust put your allegiance in jesus today let's pray together father i thank you for uh, the example of jehoiada and and even though he he took a wrong turn lord i we can learn from him but we can also learn from your son jesus and how he, how he showed us what it looks like to live a life of faith. So, Father, we, I thank you for his example. I thank you that, Lord, we, we can turn to him today. So, Father, we, we ask that, that uh, you just tear down those strongholds in our life so that we can live faithfully for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.